If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am so happy you're joining us today. Earlier this week, I received a message from one of you guys asking me a question, and this question, truthfully, I'm shocked has not come up yet on this podcast. The question had to do with this whole idea of being content. I'm sure you're familiar with passages in the Bible that talk about contentment and how we need to be content and be thankful in all the things. Also, this whole idea of taking up your cross and daily and following Christ and this idea of daily self-sacrifice and self-denial and all those things. So when I received this message asking me about that, I, of course, typed up a response. But after I sent the response, I was like, oh my gosh, we have to talk about this on the show. I'm so surprised I haven't talked about that yet. So this is something that I kind of get fired up about because it's it's a topic I was taught to believe one way and one um, viewpoint on. And as I grew older and grew in my faith, my viewpoints changed. And so I'm going to give you a newer perspective from um, from my point of view and how I view ideas and thoughts and passages like that currently. And I'm going to dig into to scripture. It's one of those um, talks today where I do pull out the Bible and I dig into some passages and give you some Greek word meanings and give you context and all those things that um, you Bible lovers out there just eat up. So it's one of those episodes. And I really think that if you, even if you've been outside of that way of thinking for a while, this will be very freeing. So I am so excited that you are on this journey with me and diving into this topic with me today. So before we get into that topic, I have to give a shout out to a new five-star review on iTunes. It's from Saving Grace, and they say, I had decided not to ever engage in any other religion-based group because I've been so negatively influenced by the church. I always felt never good enough, never judgmental enough, and honestly, if I didn't love Jesus, I would have become an atheist. Somehow God sent me to just a Jesus follower blog, and from there, this podcast. Every time I listen, my heart softens a little. Thank you, Anna, for following your God-sent vocation. Oh my goodness, that review just warmed my heart because... This is what we're here for. This podcast is for those of us who have felt like we couldn't free think and those of us who felt like we weren't, quote unquote, enough for the mass majority of our church or faith community. This is a space where we are welcomed and we are accepted and we are loved and we are actually enough. So thank you, Saving Grace, for that honest, kind review. It just, these reviews 
do mean so much to me and they really do encourage me in the work that I do here. So thank you very much for that review. If you have not left us a review on iTunes, do me a favor, hop over to iTunes and rate, review, subscribe, and leave an encouraging review if you want, only if you feel like it, and um, help other people find the content that you are getting so much out of here. So without any further ado, let's dive into this topic. Here we go. Welcome back to the podcast. If there is one thing that I remember that stood out during my years being in church was the idea of suffering well. And this can present itself in many different facets. Somehow it was all wrapped up in this idea of unhappiness, anything in your life that makes you unhappy, well, chalk it up to your suffering for Christ. And so I want to dive into that because I think even for you guys that are outside of of this framework, outside of a community that talks that way or teaches that way, if you've been in it at all, this can become a soundtrack that subtly plays in the back of your mind guilt and shame messages. And if you listen to my work at all, you know, if there's one thing that I adamantly oppose and stand against, it is shame and guilt, because those are two things that Jesus never taught and never, ever put on anybody. So, um, I want to, I want to dive into that because I think that having a more well-rounded idea of what these verses actually are talking about and taking some different perspectives on these verses, um, I think will be healthy for us. So, so when you think about Jesus and his message, I personally think of things that he said, such as our daily living, our daily life, things like your yoke is easy, meaning I think he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, but implying that to follow him and be in his footsteps and in his model of doing life, your yoke can be easy. Your burdens can be light. He also said that he came to offer us life and life to the fullest, an abounding, full, rich life. He also said, whoever is tired and heavy burden to come to him and he will give them rest. This was a theme that Jesus not only taught, but he modeled. When you look at the way he interacted with people, this was something that that clearly was important to him. He was not in the business of harping heavy loads and heavy rules and heavy burdens, if you will, onto his followers or onto people in general. He was a lot more in tune with the needs of the people in the there and now. You're hungry? I'll feed you. You have an illness, I will remove that illness. You're sad and grieving, I'll comfort you. Oh, you're about to be murdered by the religious people who think they're better than you? Well, I'm going to step in and defend you from that. He was he was all about meeting those immediate needs and and offering a life that wasn't heavy and hard and taxing, if you will. But we tend to in the in the Christian 
culture I, at least I come from, and I know that a lot of you have come from, and some of you maybe are still in, that message has gotten a bit forgotten and a bit lost or maybe overshadowed is a better way to put it. With this message, instead of preaching verses like, well, you have to take up your cross daily and follow Christ, and you need to be content in all things and suffer well. And somehow along the way, it's like Christians, or at least good Christians, are given marks for how they suffer well instead of how they love well or how they live well. Legitimately, I think we've we've lost our focus and we're focusing on the wrong thing. You know, Jesus was not saying, hey, whoever has a light load, come to me and I'm going to burden you with a whole bunch of heavy crap and it's going to be hard, but you're going to suffer really well. And I'm going to be so proud of you for doing that. He didn't say, I'm coming to bring you life and it will not be full like you hoped and dreamed it would be. In fact, it's going to be empty and hard, but guess what? I'm going to ma- I'm going to trick your mind and make your mind think that it's really good even though it's really crappy. Jesus didn't say anything like that. He his message was so obvious and yet it's like we miss the obvious point of so many of the things that that he talked about in our daily Intentions, I guess, is a good way to put it. Our daily intentions for how we're supposed to live. And instead of loving well and living well, which were two hallmarks of a lot of the things that he taught, we have scooted past all of that and just focused on suffering well. So I want to to tackle that because if you can't tell already, I'm a little bit fired up about this one, not only because do I have personal scars from this kind of message? But I think it does such a disservice to so many people living lives so sadly and tragically that they don't have to live the way they think that they have to. I get fired up about it. And so I want to jump into this um, this verse that is usually one of the ones that people want to use. And it isn't even one that Jesus said. It was um, it was Paul. And Paul talks about suffering. And, and I think that that is where many people get the idea of suffering well from. It's usually um, this verse in Philippians. And I apologize, you're going to hear some shuffling of paper <laughs> because I'm at my desk and all my stuff is kind of everywhere. Okay. So this is in Philippians. And this is Philippians chapter 4. And we start in verse 11 and it goes through 13. And and this is the closing of one of Paul's letters. And he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And this is, it's a beautiful passage, by the way. I am no means discounting that. I, I love this passage. And I think anybody who has faced hardship, this is one of those comforting verses that we have gone to. If you're a lover of scripture, 
or had seasons in your life where you were, this was probably one that you had on a post-it note somewhere, or, you know, you sing songs about a youth group. I can do all things through Christ, right? Like this is one of our mantras. If we are a Jesus follower that we can handle whatever the world throws at us, don't you worry because we have learned the secret of being content and we can handle all things through Christ. I sang that mantra. I believed that mantra. I memorized this verse years ago. But I want to dive into to actually what this verse is talking about, looking a little bit um, past the surface level of it, because, because I think many of us have, have missed a deeper meaning here. And I think this verse has also been used to... I don't like using the word control and manipulate, but I got to be honest with you, that is the, that's the only um, verbiage I have when I think about situations I've witnessed this verse being used in an unhealthy way. And I don't like that. So my hope here is that we can look at this verse through a little bit different lens, a little bit different angle. So the word content is used a lot in this verse. And when you look up the Greek meaning of content in this passage, some of the definitions that come up for it are independent of external circumstances, sufficient for oneself, strong enough to need no help or aid, positive self-sufficiency, inward adequacy. I like that. I like that because what this is talking about, <clears throat> this is talking about an inner strength an inner calm, an inner sufficiency to where you, you're not dependent on your circumstances being perfect. You're not dependent on people being perfect. You're not dependent on anything other than your inner place. And I cannot applaud that more. It's important to note that Paul Paul was not talking about a circumstance that he had control over. You know, Paul was was going through a lot of things that were kind of up to up to the air around him. You know, he he was moving, he was on the move. He was he was doing the work he felt called to do and that work didn't include um provision all the time. And so he really was at the mercy of the people who were hosting him and the mercy of the towns that he was speaking in. So for Paul this is not talking about a situation that he had the ability to change or really the ability to, to control. Not that we really ever fully have control, but there are certainly things in our life we can change and things that we can't change. When we're looking at this passage, I want to remember, um, this is a reminder to myself and to you, that he is talking about things that are outside of his control. He is talking about things like not having enough food not having a place to sleep. These are things that in his circumstances, those were outside of his power, outside of his ability to change. And so it's it's important that when we look at this passage, we are remembering there are two different types of circumstances. One, where you have the power to change it. And two, where you don't have the power to do anything. And I think the latter is the more frustrating. And so he is talking about when you find yourself in a situation that you are powerless to do anything about. It is outside of your control and you find yourself in an unpleasant space. I've learned this secret that I can actually get through it. And how I get through it is I have an inner stability, an inner strength that I know how to tap into and pull from that gets me through. 
And that inner strength, that inner voice, that inner knowing, that inner power that I go to, yeah, that's Jesus. And so that was more the idea of this passage rather than a, well, in every circumstance in life, you just have to just lay down and submit to it and choose contentment. And this is where I think Christians get, I should say, because I'm a Christian and I don't think this way, I would say a lot of the Christians that I have um, been in community with and, and served with and known, this is where I think they get a little mixed up in this because there are circumstances that we do have the power to change. But unfortunately, that's not often a mantra spoken inside of church. And so when you get people, and I'm speaking from a woman because I have been a part of many Bible studies where this was the theme and many um, workshops and classes and things where this was the focus. And there are so many Christians who are living unhappy, unfulfilled, depressing, sad, lonely lives, not because of circumstances that that are outside of their control, but because there are circumstances that they believe are outside of their control. And there's a difference. And these are just a few examples. So many people that, that are in this mind frame, for instance, they would believe that divorce is not an option ever. Doesn't matter if the spouse is abusive, unfaithful. Well, sometimes they will make an an exception for that because they love to rally rally around that verse. But I have been in some circles where even that was frowned upon, Um, where they believe that if a spouse is completely neglectful, not connected to their family, completely putting work and all kinds of other things above their family. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It doesn't matter what the reason is. They think that to earn their marks, on the Christian ladder, that they have to suffer well and that divorce is never an option for them. So of course they're miserable. Another one is a lot of um, a lot of people believe that that they don't have the ability or the right to self-care. They believe that is their it is their duty in life to completely serve others, to submit to all other powers above them, and that their needs and their wants and their desires are never to be acknowledged or noticed. There are also those, um, going back to the submission thing, where submitting to the authorities above them, whether it be church leadership or um, a husband if you're a woman or a child, even if you're grown, your parents, that you don't have a voice of your own. You have to follow the road that's been laid out for you, and and you don't have any option but to follow that. And so there's this trapped feeling that so many Christians feel that they feel powerless to change their life because they feel like any of the changes that they think might bring them peace or relief or health are changes that are wrong. And so this verse has been used many times to manipulate and control people who are in circumstances that they have the power to change They have complete power to change. And yet they're told that to choose that path would be so wrong and abhorrent to God that instead God would be more pleased with them if they didn't use the easy button and instead they chose to suffer well. And they're told that it's possible because of verses like this. You can do all things through Christ Jesus. You can be content in this abusive relationship. You can be content in this manipulative, controlling church environment. You can be content 
in a life where you have no voice and no say so. You can be content in a in a home where you are unloved. None of that was the message of Christ, I might add. None of it. But this is the message of people. And unfortunately, this has been the message of the church to people who are in painful, unhealthy, toxic situations that they should be changing, that they should be moving away from. I think that that's why you often hear um, the Christian majority harp on verses like being content and taking up your cross. It's often because they themselves feel powerless to change things in their life that are unhealthy and that are toxic. And instead of taking steps to change what would bring them health and bring them a full life, instead they choose to spend their time memorizing scriptures like this and posting them all over their refrigerator and all over their entryway. And 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 they just think that if they say this enough over themselves that eventually it will be true. Now, I do believe in the power of, of um, inner dialogue and, and meditation and prayer and, and connecting with God and connecting with the divine. I believe in all of that, but not when it comes to the sacrifice of your own health and your own well-being. And that's where this line has gotten really blurred and off. So this other verse that is used, and I want to dive into this one too, um, about taking up your cross and following Christ, because a lot of people are like, wait a second. Okay. But we are supposed to take up our cross daily and follow Christ. And doesn't that mean self-sacrifice? Doesn't that mean laying down our wants, our needs, our desires, whatever have you to, to serve those around us. And especially if we are in relationships with people, such as marriages, such as families, such as church communities, we have to lay ourselves down, take up our cross and, and do the Jesus way. Well, I want to talk about the Jesus way because I think that that is also something that's been a bit misunderstood. So I'm going to go back a few books. We're going to go to Matthew. And um, this is in, yeah, chapter 16. Now, it's important to remember, again, I love context. So it's important to remember the context of this passage. So this is where Jesus is talking with his disciples and he's predicting his death. He is explaining to them that he has to go to Jerusalem and he's going to have to suffer um, at the hands of all of the teachers of the law and the religious leaders and that he's going to be killed. And of course, his disciples are not thrilled with this, and they are arguing that this doesn't have to be. And and his response is where we have our, our infamous verse that all of us know so well. So this is verse 24. He says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And again, I love this passage. I love both parts of that, the whole, you know, gain the whole world versus the soul thing. I love that. And I also, I also like the taking up the cross thing, but for a long time I didn't. And I will tell you why. When I was um, in a very, very bad marriage, and this is um, my first marriage when I was very young, and it was unhealthy. There was abuse involved. There was cheating involved. It was just yucky. And I was told to take up my cross 
every day to the tune of being unloved, to the tune of being mistreated and abused. And this was hammered into me by the religious leaders um, in my life, the church. And so this verse took on a very bad taste in my mouth because everything in me knew that what they were saying was anti-Christ, right? What they were saying was not the essence, the heart, the message, the love, the goodness of the Jesus that I know. I was young, but I knew that, right? Like I knew that. And so to hear these people twice my age shoving this at me, expecting me to just blindly follow it, of course, was something I was not going to do. And there was a great cost involved by me um, taking the road I took, which was a road for health and which was a road for a life that was um, not toxic and not unhealthy and didn't include daily suffering. So taking that road, I was looked at as the weaker Christian, right? Because I was choosing instead to live well and be able to love well. Um, Because if you are being mistreated, if you are being abused, if you are being unloved, you are not going to love well. Like it it doesn't work that way. I didn't want that for my story. I I wanted a better story. and, And I felt peace in my soul to follow a better story. And I did. But I was quickly labeled as... Well, she just didn't have enough faith. She just didn't love Jesus enough. She just didn't take up her cross and follow Jesus like the rest of us who were unhappy in our marriages. Like that was the tone I received. And so that was a painful, um, painful time for me. And so skipping forward many years to my adult life that is now free from that, right? And I have friends who are still very wrapped up in this, in this way of thinking. And I love these people. I'm not saying anything negative towards them at all. They are endearing, wonderful people. But I have struggled at times when I hear things like this said, where I see them in really unhealthy, toxic cycles in life. And they are cycles that these people have power to change. They have the ability to change. And yet... They choose to stay and suffer because, not because they want to, not because their inner knowing tells them to, not because it brings peace, but because they feel that it's the right Christian thing to do is to suffer well. Now, there's a time for suffering, which is what this passage talks about. If you're going to to come after me, to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Okay, so... In this passage, remember the context, right? The context is he's explaining to his disciples that I'm going to have to be taken away and I'm going to suffer at the hands of the church and the religious people and the elders and whatnot, and eventually they're going to kill me. And so that's what he's talking about. Now, an important question to ask is, why was Jesus going to be killed? What was it that was pushing for this cross to happen? Why was Jesus taking up his cross? What what was the reason behind that? Well, if you study the Gospels and you study the life of Jesus, the one thing that continued to irritate and anger the religious crowd to the point of hatred, as the text tells us, and to the point of murder, being on a cross, it was because Jesus loved everyone. It was because Jesus included 
the outsiders, the ones the religious didn't want in. It was because Jesus bucked the religious tradition. He challenged scripture. He challenged the religious ways of things have always been this way, right? Like he opposed that and challenged that. Jesus was real. He was not about fakeness. He was not about pretending to be something he wasn't. And when he interacted with people, he interacted with them on a real level, on a human level. Jesus practiced humanity first. Jesus was a human before he was, quote unquote, a religious teacher. When he interacted with people, he met them at their human level. He met them with humanity. He wept when they wept. He cried when they cried. He rejoiced when they rejoiced. Jesus met them where they were and loved them there. And this was so like off the charts backwards from how the church had always operated and always done things where there are the holy ones in and the unholy ones out. And it's our job to punish the unholy ones. Does this sound familiar, by the way? Still a thing, I might add. Jesus stood in opposition to all of that. And because of that, he had to pick up a cross and let them crucify him. So when Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, be ready to pick up a cross because that's what this whole Jesus method of living is going to look like. When you choose to love the outsider, when you choose to include the ones who have been pushed out, when you choose to challenge tradition, when you choose to put humans in front of religious law, when you choose to be inclusive, to be loving, when you choose to be like Jesus, they're going to rally around you eventually and they're going to yell crucify. And so when he's saying, if you're going to follow me, be ready to take up your cross, this is what he's talking about. He is not talking about an act of daily suffering over mundane circumstances in your life. And I know a lot of them are not mundane. I didn't mean that in a demeaning way. I just mean mundane in comparison to dying on a cross. Daily circumstances that you have the power and the ability to change. He's not talking about taking up a cross and suffering for the just for the mere sake of suffering because that's what good Christians do. That's not at all what he's talking about. He is talking about a radical lifestyle that is so oppositional to the religious majority that you will eventually find yourself being crucified. In one way or another, you're going to have a cross and you're going to have to carry it. Now, it's important to note that Jesus carried a cross one day and was crucified one time. <laughs> and so again, this idea of daily taking up a cross and daily dying and daily suffering is not the way of Jesus at all. That's not what his ministry looked like. That's not what his life looked like. We don't see him being drugged through town, crown of thorn on his head and put up to die on a cross. And then he resurrects and does the whole thing over again. We don't see that. He did it one time in his whole life. So if anyone ever tells you, well, you need to take up your cross today and, and submit to this unhealthy relationship and, and follow in the sufferings of Jesus, be like, uh, yeah. So Jesus did that one time. And so I'm going to follow that model instead of the model you're suggesting. And Jesus also said that I'm supposed to live a life full. 
Jesus also said that my burdens are supposed to be light and easy when I follow him. And let me tell you something, following the Jesus method where you are loving and including everyone, and when you are focused on serving the underserved and and ministering to the poor and clothing the naked and feeding the hungry, and when you are focused on justice and protecting those without a voice and speaking up for those who need to be spoken up for and opposing the hypocritical religious majority, let me tell you, your life is going to feel really full. It's going to feel really, really good. It's going to feel really, really satisfying. There are days when it does feel lonely, and we see that in Jesus' model of his life. There were days he was alone. I mean, look at his wilderness journey. That's a whole nother topic and a whole nother message. You're going to have lonely times, but when you look at the, the trajectory of his ministry and his life, oh my gosh, what a fulfilling, full, easy life. What He didn't have to pick and choose who was in and out. That's easy. It's hard when you have to like exhaust yourself deciding, is it okay if I'm friends with them? Is it not okay if I hang out with them? Can I date this person? Can I not date this? But would this not be the good Christian? That's exhausting. It's exhausting. Jesus didn't act or live like that. He had a table. It was set. All were welcome. All were loved. He was real. He was honest. He was genuine. He was human with everybody, which was completely opposite from those in the religious majority. And that's what got him killed. Another thing I want to point out is when people are living, and this might this might even be you, when there are things in your life that, that aren't so easy and that are heavy and you are struggling with what decisions to make and, and how do I move through this and what is the right response? What would God want me to do? Um, those are good questions to ask. Those are great questions to ask. And, and one thing that has made this very simple for me, because I have made a lot of, a lot of hard calls in my life of things that needed to shift and things that needed to change, not only in my faith, but also in my relationships and also in my, um, job vocations and in my parenting and all the things I've made tough calls and I've made, had to make changes. Not all of them were well approved of or well liked, but they were what were needed. And so when you find yourself in these situations that are hard and you're asking yourself those tough questions, should I stay? Should I go? Should I change? Should I not change? Should I embrace this? Should I not embrace this? I mean, the questions can circle for days. It's become easy for me to just boil it down to one question. What is the fruit? So this thing in my life that I'm wanting to be free from or wanting to change or feeling like needs something to change, and I'm feeling guilty for making those changes, well, what's the fruit of that thing being in your life? Are you depressed because of it? Are you not at peace because of it? Are you sad? Are you lonely? Are you um, angry? You know a tree by its fruit. And so if the fruit of your quote unquote suffering is all stinky and bad, then it's probably time to change it. There's no point in suffering just for suffering's sake. That's not the message of Jesus. And that's not the life that you were designed to live. So when it comes to decisions to be made, if the decision to end the suffering would present peace, joy, kindness, goodness, 
gentleness, self-control, if the decision to change would offer good fruit, then I would say that's a really easy answer as to what needs to happen, that it's time to end the suffering. It's time to now embrace a life like Jesus described, where your burdens are light and easy and where your life becomes full of joy and good things. For some of you, it might, it might mean an ending of a relationship, and that's hard. For some of you, it might mean a job change, and that's scary. For some of you, it might mean a move away from your place that you've always lived, and that could be hard and challenging. For some of you, it might mean embracing who you really are and all the fear of that comes with that. For some of you, it might be letting go of a child who who you so wish you could change and fix and and control and make the way you just know it could and should be. But the fruit of, of stressing and obsessing over that is just awful for you. It might be time to let go. Suffering for the sake of suffering was never the message of Jesus. Suffering well wasn't really the message of Jesus either. Loving well and living well were the messages of Jesus. And whatever in your life is keeping you from loving well and living well probably needs to change. Those aren't the things to try to learn to be content in. Those are the things that need to be like kicked out the back door and plowed over and rebuilt. When it comes to choosing contentment, if you will, to follow the the line of Paul, You know, that comes when it's outside of your control. And I think we see that modeled in Jesus on the cross. He knew, he knew that his way of life, his way of love would eventually get him killed. And there was nothing he could do about it. So we see him suffer well in that one moment on that one day. But that wasn't the end of the story. The suffering with Jesus didn't end in suffering that was endless. It wasn't a a lifetime of suffering. No, with Jesus, it was a day of it. It killed him. And then he rose. Then he was resurrected better than he was before. Finding your inner strength to go through the things that you can't control, the things that the good choices lead to, because in the world we live in, Loving and living like Jesus isn't always going to be welcome. And making the hard, tough calls to have a healthy, toxic-free life isn't always going to be accepted. And so when you find yourself advocating for you and advocating for others, you may find yourself in some hot water, just like Jesus did, just like Paul did, just like everyone who has ever followed Jesus has found themselves. And when those moments come, that is when we dig deep like Paul saying, he's learned this secret of being content. And that secret is there's an inner strength that we can pull from. And again, to quote that word, it's a strength independent of external circumstances, sufficient for one's self, strong enough to not need aid, positive self-sufficiency, inward adequacy. Like that's just amazing. All of us are hardwired for that. All of us have that inner 
muscle, but we have to practice it. And the lifestyle of Jesus gives you plenty of opportunity to practice that because there will be things outside of your control. But the things that are inside your control that would prohibit you from living like Jesus, loving well, living well, maybe it's time to let those things go. I hope this encouraged you. I hope this shed some light on um, a different way of looking at suffering and a different way of looking at the life and the model of Jesus. Grace and peace. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.